Yeah. All right. Well, let's quit talking about how much we hate our cats right now, and we can (laughs) get into Franco territory. Hello, everyone. It's welcome back, the boys, Franco. That's right. We gave you uh, gave you a nice little break there with our buddy Olivia to talk about how much the canyons rules. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, uh, you enjoyed that. But we're back. We're back. Keep, keep cooking. More Franco for you today. A healthy, heaping slot pile of Franco. A lot of sexual deviance ahead of you. So here we go. We're getting really deviant today. Yep. And why waste time? I think. Where, let's see. Where did we leave off? We left off with Night of the Skull. Night of the Skull. That's right. We're kicking it off with two unfinished movies. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna kick it off with two unfinished movies that we know nothing about. Well, but. this is what we read a little bit. So, um, as you know from last time, Franco was trying to get his own production company off the ground on a co films. It kept failing at every turn. Uh, another example, this movie called La Casa del Arrocado. Um, all that's known is that uh, they shot a couple minutes of it, and that's pretty much it. Even even Steven Thrower doesn't know <laughs> about this movie, because there's nothing to know. Oh, wait, no, that's the Stivia. I got them wrong. Yeah, there's you're thinking... No, there's stuff we know for this. We do know that, like... The first is, I went out of order. Uh, Arcado is, um, let's see. House of the Hanged. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, House of the Hanged. He really pumped it up to his buddies. Said it was the most erotic story I've shot in my life. (laughs) Which also, as we know, he was a hustler. So who knows if that was true or if they shot anything. Um, But it was a costume drama of sorts apparently but yeah we don't know much and then the next one lascivia is what i was talking about first mistake the one we know very we know next to nothing about yep so that's okay that's okay that we don't know two lost ones unfinished rather not lost um it's just making room for his next movie, which isn't lost. You can find it everywhere in a couple thousand versions. Yep. Uh, we're going to talk about the one that does not feel or does not feature a uh, bloody banana. Which we will talk about later on the Patreon because I'm with Thrower on this one. That's the best cut. But we're going to talk about the cut that if you get the Severn Blu-ray and hit play and the only one that's restored and looks nice. We're going to talk about the Hot Nights of Linda, and unfortunately, uh, it just can't be avoided. We're going to talk about the cut that the foolish producers decided for the U.S. market to retitle, but uh, Who Raped Linda, which is an awful title, and also doesn't make any sense with the movie you're going to watch, because no one did in the story. So if you hear that title and you're like, well, skipping this one, you don't have to, because that doesn't happen in the movie. Um, it was just a salacious title. Well, someone's getting raped in the movie, but... Well, but not really, unless you watch the banana one that you're talking about. Right. Well, it's implied that someone gets raped. Yes, yes. But you don't... Rare in Franco territory, you're not going to see uh, 
see it a lot in this one. Um, but so this movie. Well, well let's movie, just give them let's not let's give them a couple other titles just so they don't have to think of. But who raped Linda in their head, echoing back yeah. and forth. Here's some other titles that it went under. Uh, Forbidden Room. Okay, kind of dumb. Solitary Pleasure. All right. Sure. My favorite, Pussy Caresses. <laughs> um, and then two that they try to, uh, I guess, try to like connect to uh, the the Emmanuel series, which had started at that time and we'll return to in a second, in his many attempts to not do anything like like barely related to the Emmanuel series. <laughs> um, but these are Come With Me, My Blonde Emmanuel. <laughs> and the other come closer blonde emmanuel so think of those other than the other strange title yeah this is a rough one mm -hmm. it's a very despite uh you know saying it's not as rough as that title might imply we are firmly in bummer jess territory here Big which bummer. is my favorite um but we're also in a new territory of franco after night of the skull that I call this the self-reflexive era. Uh, not that he hasn't been before, but everything we're going to talk about today is, I, in my opinion, really ramped up in the realm of uh, interrogating himself and the viewers and everything they do and why they're doing it. Um, we, we do have so a few today that are very explicit in that, yeah. Yes, and this one's not as explicit, Um but it's 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 still there, I think. And this is a, about a woman who gets hired to go um, work for this family and take care of two sisters, basically. Mm -hmm. And there's and a father, there's a overbearing father that you know wards over the house, lords over the house, not wards over the house. Yeah, he's 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 got a stiff way of uh, dealing with things. He doesn't seem like a very nice guy. And then it turns out he's hiding some dark secret hmm. and uh, he doesn't leave the house and he's uh, let's just, yeah, he's committed a murder that has caused the entire household to become undone and unwound. And they bring in uh, Alice Arno, who, if you see at the very beginning of the movie, is reading a book and suddenly ends up. Uh, caring for this house, yelling at the poor, mentally uh, unwell manservant. Not just one, she hits him a lot. She hits him a lot, suggesting her background is not of the most pure, probably from some very rich aristocracy, potentially, that has fallen on hard times, quite like the family that she's caring for. Mm -hmm. And it all gets kind of mashed up. I think we should probably... This is the one time I think we should probably talk about the ending. Yes, because we also we have to talk about the ending if we're talking about self-reflexive shit. Um, and what and whether if you watch this movie, if you feel it's a cop out, the ending of this one, some do, um, some don't. You know, uh, but we'll yeah we'll get to there. It's um, this is one of those movies I think for. Uh, Franco, why it's such a marked turn is he's still using these beautiful locations. Uh, but this is one of the earlier times where he uses that um, to see if he can make it horrible. <laughs> he's still in this beautiful place with these beautiful settings, but the entire movie 
feels really cloaked in despair i think um it's stuffy starts yeah it's really yeah it's really claustrophobic Mm -hmm. um and we get yeah she once she gets there once alice gets there she meets these two sisters one is a wild uh nymphomaniac that's lena romay and then the other is a mute sister who has uh been through quite an intense trauma Mm, um yeah yeah and he loves his sisters with two different backgrounds and mm-hmm. this is definitely a movie that is gonna play into a lot of his future movies about sisters one of my favorites doriana gray which we'll get to one day mm-hmm. and uh yeah i mean this is a this is a harsh sad film and let's just you know so it, it goes through we, we don't even want to spoil what happens in the movie but at the end of the movie skip ahead if you yeah, don't after you've been through a lot <laughs> because i definitely this ending really like you said some consider it a cop out some don't with me shockingly it worked kind of the way i maybe he had hoped it would because i i uh i had seen hot lights of linda but had completely forgotten how it ends and i was kind of tired we'd been running through a lot and that ending just went right past me and I like it ended and I was like, okay, I got it. What? What? I forgot about that. And it's a, it's, it's a skip ahead right now. It's all a dream scenario. She yep. was reading a book and which the book changes also <laughs> the book title changes. Yes. To which I think you can really look at this two ways. You can either you can either try to pump potentially some bad faith into the idea that this was all part of some grand design for Franco, or this is simply the result of uh couldn't come up with an ending, maybe. Yep. I'm I'm gonna be annoying today because we'll go further into this as we go through the movies, but I think the the thing that it maybe could be if you want to stretch uh with Franco is if everything you've just been through, which is a lot of intense stuff like that we've touched on with the whipping that happens in this movie and really dark family stuff um, and really uh, a kind of whiplash between truly hot sex scenes between like Lena and Alice Arno and really horrible sex stuff with others. Um, to me, Franco at the very end saying it was all just a book or it was all just, you know, a dream or whatever. Uh, to me, that's him maybe saying, do you still like this movie if it's not real, even within the movie itself? You know, because that's what he's interrogating a lot is like, why why do people like us like to watch these things? And what does that mean? And to me, if I'm stretching, it could be him saying, if it's not even real within the world you've been watching, are you, do you still like it? You're probably right. I think because I think the only thing you can point to that Will is not blowing smoke out his ass here is that he is clearly in a very self-reflexive period. So I think that it does stand a reason that this might have been that kind of first attempt because it's not like he does this with anything else, you know, oh, except like, for the buttons. <laughs> well, but that doesn't even function as <laughs> it, it, yeah. but it, but but it is Alice Arno again, just reading yeah. the story on a bed. So, I, I you know, I do think that there's a lot more cooking here to point that this is not some sort of cop out. 
Sorry. Yep. So we this is a really, a really great fucking movie. Um, if you're in the mood for bummer, Jess, but you know, be warned because it's really sad. <laughs> it's it's a bummer, but hey, that's life. Sometimes you know, it's gonna yep. be something of a bummer. So again, we 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 don't we we really want to try to keep a lot of mystery still, even though we just talked about that ending. But I think you're not gonna see us do that a lot. But I think in this case. It makes a when we left out a lot because the way this movie unfolds is very special, and I think some of his strongest filmmaking in certain ways. Um, but it's if you just go on the journey, it's better experience without knowing everything. Yeah, and of course, made in '73, uh, didn't come out in most places till another two, three years after it was made. So, again. It's just it's the it's the world and the company that Jess keeps at this point. But he is really working things pretty nicely with his uh, new star, Lena Romay, who does deliver one of her best performances in this movie. And oh, incredible. I would say is the heavy lifter of this movie. Like to me, it's all yeah, her. It's, it's, it's Lena's movie. Alice is great. The sister does what she can. <laughs> Does what she can, yes. So let's move on to our next one. Wow, we did pretty well. I thought we would wait just a lot of time on that one, but trying to be better. Yep, I got the timer started today. All right, here we go. Next movie shot in 74, doesn't see release till 77, 78, and 79 all across Europe. And that is Tinder and Perverse Emmanuel. AK known as Shivers on the Skin, which I kind of like a little bit more. And uh, yeah, this is barely an Emmanuel movie. In fact, it's not at all. <laughs> I'm going to safely. No. This is if you just bought that lovely Severance set, do not think this is the missing piece of these Emmanuel movies. This is no, this, a total... this isn't that one. <laughs> what? Oh, no, go ahead. No, 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 no. Well, yeah, that's a book. Okay. It's not even a part of that. <laughs> this is a. This isn't black or white, Emmanuel. Yes. This is a, a woman named Emmanuel that, again, this title is being used to sell off of the very popular success of the very first Emmanuel movie, much like in some places they tried with Hot Nights of Linda. But now it's in the title for its French and Belgium releases. Oh boy, this is an interesting movie. It is um, part good and part really hard to focus on. Uh, there is a, too much plot going on in this movie to truly dizzying degrees. Good yeah. luck trying to parse this plot out. It's another. It's another thing to highlight that though he can do aspects of it well, or at least interesting. When Franco flirts with Jalo territory, um, oftentimes he gets lost in the sauce himself. Because anything yeah. that depends on plot as much as Jalo does, I think he just gets bored while he's making it. Um, but it's yeah. there's, I think there's some really good stuff here, and it's God tell me if this even works. It's hard to like do a logline for this one, but uh, you know this woman who's a, a very successful concert pianist. Um, is living under the thumb of this shitty dude uh, who is convinced that she's cheating and he's right and everyone's cheating 
and people get killed and it's a a hot mess of a uh, jealousy and obsession like like all jello things um like yeah. you want them to be um before we get into it i didn't know this till today jess's original hope for the cast of this was uh yule brenner and raquel welch that's who he went for <laughs> can you imagine Good to start. Shoot for the the stars, my man. That's Imagine. um. But this uh, the shit opens. I have to highlight this. Sorry, the first time we get ass eating in a Jess Franco movie is this movie, and it's the opening scene with Alice and Lena again because Jess was smart and shot an incredibly sensual uh group of scenes for them for Hot Nights of Linda, but he had leftover. And he saved it to open this one. And it opens with Lena Romay eating Alice Arno's ass. And it's pretty crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like in this beautiful red light with their cigarette yeah. smoke swirling around them. It's so hot. Yeah, I'm going to turn the AC back on, I think. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. nuts. But um, yeah. Sorry, Unfortunately, kid. those They were eating ass well thing. before you all thought you invented eating ass. That's right. Yes, the all the OG. That's right. It's a main <laughs> oh. actress. Unfortunately, is not up to snuff with Lena and Alice and the group of regular players, and so the time spent focused with her, outside of some visual stuff that's interesting, is a bit of a slog to get through. Um, I think. I don't know if you disagree, but um, it's a slog. But there is enough. There are just enough moments yes, to keep it going. To keep it going. But I will say, like, you're gonna hear with a lot of some of these titles today. Not all of them, but some of them. This is not for the beginners, I think. Yeah, wait on it because you'll fucking hate it if you start here. You really sure. will hate it, especially if you're trying to like this is the, honestly, I will say probably the better of his Giallo efforts yeah, to this point. I'd agree. But it isn't and it's still it's still not terrible at all. A good restoration of it would really help me see it better, literally, yep. but I think like well, even just that opening scene, it'd be our favorite movie seeing that restore. Its problem is its pacing and its story. But there's kind of like kind of that nightmares come at night, that just narcotic, like slow kind of drippiness of it that just kind of like washes in and out of you and you're i mean you would say that this would be a great movie for hitting the stinker too but i would caution you against it because i had to stop it the first time as i could not figure out what the hell was going on in this movie and (laughs) barely barely no, but it's crazy. Like I, I, you know, I try not to smoke like a ton of weed when I'm watching movies, but it's like, oh, it's a Franco movie. Hell yeah, I'm gonna have a little doop. And then I just was so lost. I had to stop it, finish it. Well, because well, it's the tension. Because when he gets to cook, it's that shit you're talking about, which is that amazing, just like goopy, dripping world. Mm-hmm. And then when it snaps back to people, like throwing up, uh, you know fucking plot points as fast as they can it's hard to like switch between the two um mm-hmm. 
but it's cool, you know, and there's one of my favorite things that is in this because one of the few filmmakers that Franco acknowledged that he watched the movies of and loved is uh, Robert C. Yeah, And he named the cop in this movie, uh, C. Edmack. Yeah. So that's I, I do. a nice little thing. You uh-huh. also get to see uh, Lena. Oh, and we're not, because it spoils one of the best things. We're not talking about Lena a ton because that's some of the greatest pleasure in this movie is just watching her do her thing. Yeah. Um, and one of the great moments, she's seducing her still at that point, real life husband, Ramon Ardid, in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, uh, the, the sword and- is hanging over his head. <laughs> the ending, which we won't directly say, because it is actually pretty cool, but it's just clear that Franco is still uh, like fucking bereft, to say the least, about Soledad. Because it's yet another ending that echoes um, things with Soledad and how all of that ended. So it's yeah. a pretty if you're if you're climbing into a Franco world like this, it's a pretty melancholy and beautiful ending. Um, yeah. On I, that, I, yeah, I do think it it is, and yeah, I can't spoil where it goes, but let's just say, considering how confused I was, I definitely didn't see that coming, but. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting. And this is also, we mentioned uh, the title, Emmanuel, which is never spelled correctly amongst all these Emmanuel movies. No one seemed to be able to come to terms. Because well, it was uh, copyright. Oh, is that the reason? Well, that's well, why Joe Donato's stuff, which we'll talk about later, why right. his movies spelled wrong because he didn't have, he wasn't allowed to make them. Which was also Eurocenter. So. <laughs> You know, like they obviously saw the success he got off of his, um, gonna say much better Emmanuel movies mm-hmm. than this one, and yes. uh, and and went with that. So we'll return to old Joe D'Amato here mm-hmm. in a second, but let's move on to our next movie. This is uh, another Eurocena classic. <laughs> No, just kidding. It's not a classic. It's called Kiss Me Killer from uh, 73, 74, uh, shot in December of 73, took a couple months, finished in March 74. And yeah, it didn't make its premiere until like three or four years later in Europe. And this is a remake of a movie we've already covered uh a death sings death. a blues oh yeah death sings a blue so oh, same yeah. plot yeah same plot as will that. said it right right there oh it's uh there's this one all i want to talk about is the stuff that will get you through if you do want to do this um because it's kind of a bummer because it yeah, could be drugs cool. you you need um, drugs to get you through this <laughs> Well, the, if we do ever get a restoration of this one also, this is one of my favorite Jess use of scope. Like, I think it's really beautiful um, to if look at. Tell. Well, that, yeah. You know I'm saying? It would help. Uh, yeah, um, sure. We do get uh, truly one of the, the, the only, like, centerpiece, really, of this whole thing is there's a, a, a very beautiful and tender lesbian sequence with uh, Lena... And Alice Arno again, and this is the second ass eating we have for the day. Mm-hmm. But it's truly, it's truly a lovely scene, and you can tell that they'd actually, you know, grown close as like friends or whatever, because it's truly beautiful, and it takes you out of the movie in a welcome way. <laughs> 
you know? Yeah, no, they're, I mean, uh, let's watch that movie. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. When those do pop up, you really wish it would stick with that, but no Mm -hmm. stuck with a really bad excuse for, I don't know. What would you say? A Puzia Techi film? Like, kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's the thing again. Like, he just doesn't give a shit about stuff like this. So, like, when he has to do it, it clearly just has to be the people who pay for it know that he's going to put some shit in, like, that beautiful lesbian scene. And they're like, cool, you can keep that if you hit all these plot points and Roddick's back. (laughs) The plot points, but you provide none of the tension. (laughs) None. Well, he can't. That's not why we watch Jess Franco movies. It ain't sure as shit ain't for tension, you know? No. So when you are a filmmaker that cannot do probably the greatest thing that movies can do, you should just do what you do really well. And unfortunately, his is of the the realm between, you know, the nighttime, daytime worlds. He really does walk a strange, strange uh dimension but when he tries to do this doesn't work so well no i will say that uh i won't spoil it but the ending i think is really lovely with lena um so if you get that far and it is be warned this is also longer than most franco movies so it is the full hundred minutes uh it's going and i was like this is insane Not really, it's it's tough. They talk so much, um, but they're yeah. So if you if you do want to take this plunge, you have a beautiful scene with Lena and Alice, and you have a pretty cool ending. Um, otherwise, even my ass doesn't have much to say about this. I like Jess's role that he plays. His name's like Cuckoo or whatever. That's pretty funny, but it doesn't belong in this movie again. <laughs> yep. So let's just wipe that one. No one's going to even recommend that. I mean, see it if you want to do the whole journey, but like, that's not even one of these, like, come back to it. (laughs) Watch it if you're watching them all. Yeah, but I will caution you. You're going to have to do things like what we had to do, like take a break. When When you plug in a bunch of lesser Jesses, the result is of a mental constipation and True. you are dying for one that works and uh i hit a little bit of that getting through uh, some of these sex comedies and i truly was like i can't watch another franco for like another week so but as always he treats you good if you keep going and there will be another one to remind you he'll win you always but it's it's a tortured relationship <laughs> sometimes so now we'll talk about one that you love. Now, yeah, this one, I don't have a bad thing to say about this one. It is 1974, shot in January and February, not released until 75, 76. And even then, in different versions, it is the movie Exorcism, which... Fuck yeah. yeah we're not going to get into all the versions of it today. There's one that will come on a later public episode <laughs> and then there will be our, our bonus episode where we'll talk about sexorcisms which yeah, is yeah. fun to talk it's about a, oh it's just to dangle the carrot in front of y'all um if you want to see jess franco actually have sex on camera join us on the patreon because we'll talk about it in the in the sexorcism version, but today we're going to talk about the exorcism version, which is also Jesse's favorite cut. So, yes, and as Will said, 
we were talking about a certain self-reflexiveness coming in. This is the one. And it's interesting. Uh, Stephen Thrower compares it to Polanski's The Tenant, which I think is an interestingly provocative uh, way to compare the two. This is also like, <laughs> this is a movie that I don't know how to describe. Is it... <laughs> So it, it is self-reflexive, but in the making of it, it originally started. Now, you remember Will said that Yul Brynner and Raquel Welch were reached out to for Tinder and Perverse Emmanuel. Apparently, Jess threw all his cards to try and get Vincent Price into the main role of this movie. Now, that would have been awesome. That would have been really I'm glad he didn't, though. But I'm glad he didn't because now he found an excuse to make this version that definitely mocks some of his detractors, mocks himself. It's, uh, yeah, I think the tenant's probably the best way to describe it because yep. it's about a priest, well, a defrocked priest who was touching people he shouldn't have been touching. And he gets, uh, he has to run from that, um, his, uh, I guess his, sultry past his bad 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 past to become a pornographer and he writes erotic stories for this crappy magazine and in his meantime is convinced that there might be people out there holding literal black masses to raise the devil and yeah he finds himself a little turned on by it he finds himself repulsed by it so in order to satisfy his uh his urges of this he must go around kidnapping torturing and killing young women he thinks might be involved in black mass sex orgies yep or in his words save those women because he's setting them free he's from setting, the devil. yes now this movie opens up with a stellar fucking sequence that ranks among one of the best openings he's ever done. And it is going to go all the way back to Succubus. And you are going to see a very graphic torture sequence that I say that, but then that almost kind of is not accurate because it's not graphic in the way that it gets convincingly bloody. This looks like a shitty stage performance of a black mass. The blood is clearly coming from a pump and the knife. And then what do you know? It's all fake, just like the succubus opening. So you're treated as, you know, incredibly graphic, uh, like horrifying opening. And it, it, it calms any uh, levels of disgust you might have because it very quickly says this is a performance being put on that is fake. And the movie's going to do this multiple times with these acts. And it's going to go as far as to even describe the tricks. So he really is hitting into some like meta self-reflexiveness here. He's combating the critics, uh, essential portrayals of him in the press as this dirty, disgusting, sadist pervert. He's making fun of his own sexual predilections. And... He's just having fun with audience expectation. It's like uh, it's constantly like lifting the, you know, the the rug out from under you, much to the dismay of his main character who doesn't realize that this is all fake. 
and is just savagely going around kidnapping women. It's great. It's a, it's, it's, a, great. it's a great movie. It's great. It really is. And we've got um, the handheld camera work in this. It's fucking amazing and really adds especially to those scenes. And it's a weird thing. I'm sure Jess is sad we're highlighting it. But famously, you know, he basically, even though he had cinematographers technically, it was well known that he shot everything, did the lighting, did all that because he was, you know, very obsessive about how things looked. Uh, but this time, since he had played such a substantial role, who shot the movie, none other than Lita Romay's still husband, Ramon Ardid. So he's shooting it and it's really fucking great. It looks really good and it really adds to it. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's like, he blows my mind in this because I think the, the thing that takes it further, like everything you said, yes. The thing that tips this over into why he's such a transgressive, like weird person truly is that one of the women that Jess kills uh, and does other things to we won't spoil um, is none other than his actual stepdaughter. And that's a woman named Carolina Riviera. And his actual stepdaughter is one of the women that his character, Paul Vogel, cleanses of Satan in very graphic, disgusting ways. And that is the craziest move I've ever seen. <laughs> but I will say it's not. It's going to rub you the wrong way, but it's not that bad. I think you might be. No, making- it's, only, it's only that bad with the knowledge. Yes, but it's not like he's well, not it's Franco. Still, he's not. He doesn't make realistic looking things. Not slipping the sausage into his stepdaughter, but no, definitely running a knife across her breasts. Yes. Uh, but hey, that's that's Europe, baby. <laughs> that's Europe, baby. Uh, I don't know. He feels like so fired up here and firing on all cylinders in the best way. I think, and it's also maybe my favorite Andre Benichaud score that he does for him. Great score. All fucking perfect. I love what Schroer talks about, that this movie truly, if you really want to think about it, the balance it strikes between the conversation of the sacred and profane um, really ticks this up quite a bit, Mm -hmm. I think, because along with the self-reflexive, it's also a great movie if you ignore all that shit. Absolutely. And, you know, it reckons with his Catholic background, his upbringing in the world. You know, it's definitely one of those, like, let's have fun at the uh, Catholic Puritans sort of movie. And I think, though, that this movie has a lot of horrifying things in it. I think it's best probably looked at as an extremely black comedy. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think you're going to find more out of it rather than, like, titillation, which is clearly he's reaching for beyond that this isn't supposed to be a gore fest this isn't supposed to even be a sex romp this is a movie that weirdly is like another movie we'll get to later that's walking some inner zone between the two that's like almost invisible to what most people think genre movies could be and uh i I can understand why he couldn't let it go many years later yeah i don't know five out of five for for exorcism oh absolutely this movie only gets better every time I revisit it. Yeah, and uh, and we won't go into all of it, but there's some other characters in it. The publisher, who Thrower points it out, but that is an amazing part 
that constantly throws this movie into like, what the fuck? Who are these characters? As much of a genre deconstruction as you can actually apply that term literally. Yep. Yep. And also the fact that the people who are publishing Jess's character, Paul's nasty stories while he's actually killing people, that they shot that in the actual Eurocine offices. Yeah, right. It's just another fucking layer to all of this madness that's going on. <laughs> and you know, I'm going to be honest, it's kind of nice when he walks, when Jess himself walks into that scene and Lena's there and you see them together on screen. Oh. Yep. Sorry, Ramon. Your time is short. <laughs> now we're on to John's favorite movie in the whole oeuvre. This is the one I cannot wait to talk about. I'll be quick if you want me to just slam through this one. Okay. Well, there's some I'd rather you slam through. This one is less bad than I... Th- okay, I had less bad of a time than I thought I was going to have with it. <laughs> That's my my best endorsement for this one. Yeah. And that is... Uh, so this movie is called uh, Celestine, Made at Your Service. Um, this is a streak of sex comedy-esque movies that Jess was going to do all in a row. Um, and this is after he has another, you know, because he's back with Eurocine briefly again, which he will continue to return to. But this is back with the producer whose name we can't say, Robert Denessel, um, who loves this kind of shit. And Jess, again, is in a situation where he has to make certain kinds of movies for these people. But this movie is about a a group of women who work at a brothel and it is raided. And so uh, they all scatter, end up different places. Lena and her friend. Yeah, they go through through Jess's window. Yep. (laughs) But Lena and her friend um, uh, run a certain way. Lena ends up uh, out in the middle of nowhere in front of this gate and uh, stumbles into a maid job at this very uh, bourgeoisie family whose life is not going well because of sexual frustrations. And uh, this is, um, I'm going to it a little more, but this is kind of like if uh, Taya Rema didn't want to make any points uh, politically or even, you know, morally, I guess. Um, It's kind of the opposite of Taya Rema. Or instead of going in and fucking up the world of these high society people, Lena and one of her friends she brings in actually because they love sex so much and they love the work they do so much that they actually fix this family um, because everyone just needs to get laid more. <laughs> it's the it's kind of the if that'd be the line on the poster. <laughs> that is what the movie is, and I mean. <laughs> Very, very low tolerance for 60s, 70s, rompy sex comedies. I, they're hardly... There's also a costume one, too, so even worse. Which is so rough. Unfortunately, or fortunately, the movie looks pretty good. So, Mm -hmm. go along with that. There's a restored version out there, so it's less of a strain on your brain to sit through. (laughs) And... Um, again, like with Teo Rama, you know, like this is um, the character shares a name with the character from Diary of a Chambermaid, made by two people I'm sure Franco loves, 
there was a version made by Jean Renoir and a version made by Louis Bunuel. They actually shared that same screenwriter for Virgin Among the Living Dead. And yeah, this is, uh, or was it Virgin Among the Living Dead? I think it is. He, well, he did a couple. He did a couple, right. Yeah. So this is uh, those movies, but without any of the like class going on anything of like a thinking person's persuasion has been beat out of this movie like lena beating off every dude in this house <laughs> and hey, you know fine it's fun to see howard vernon running around like a weird old man even <laughs> boy that kind of shit that benny hill style like old <laughs> it just makes go to sleep but yep. You know, it's for- they're having so much fun though. That's what helps with the next couple movies we're talking about. Is this crew is clearly having the time of their life, hanging out together. And I will defend the uh, only way I'll defend this movie. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that that this idea helps with two of these upcoming sex comedies, maybe what? three. One, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, okay, go on with what you were saying. All right, la- last thing to close it. Uh, Truly, yes, all of the like intellectual anything is stripped from this, but the reason I really have a big affinity for this movie is because with how it ends, I won't spoil, but Lena gets the final moment yet again. And what Lena does without using words, just fucking acting, is truly touching and kind of amazing. And it's clear that the mood this crew is in was like, honestly sex can help so much with the world if people can have fun with it and (laughs) you know just actually not be fucking puritans about it and it's kind of a lovely little you know a lovely little send-off to just say yeah if people fucked more in like in a you know in fun ways that everyone was into things would be all right and i like it well and in that sense it's pure fantasy because it seems to do away like yes this sex can be truly the most great unifying wonderful thing of the world if like these characters in this movie there's no jealousy there's no resentment there's this like weird utopian idea of sharing of possessionless um ideas of sex which boy i know some of these some of these people in the field profiles really try to define and create their own little ruled world of it but at the end of the day we remain the same disgusting, pathetic beasts that crawled out of the fucking ocean. So, you know, this is a, this is a movie for, for those people. You will love it because it will show you the version that exists in your head right next to all your plush toys on the bed. Well, they won't love it because it still does have some uh, uncouth jokes that uh, people don't like in European sex comedies at the time. That's- there's some light rape jokes, but hey, you know, that's Europe. <laughs> it is. All right. Well, luckily, uh, before we do more sex comedies, our next stop on the train, our next stop on the train is a fucking powerhouse movie. Um, like it. I'm going to be honest. Not a fan. Are you serious? Oh, I was like, holy shit, we have to cancel the show. I can't. I can't do it if you don't like. Oh, my God. <laughs> Truly, for a second, I was like, yeah, it's off, dude. I'm out. 
No, that's revenge for you and uh, Silence of the Tomb. So, <laughs> love. Take oh, it. Oh my god! All right. Go <laughs> next up. Next up. Yes. Continuing to be made, you know, days after each other. We have a film called Lorne of the Exorcist. Um, this movie is fucking insane and one of the uh, truly only movies in movie history that I am aware of that I have seen that I would confidently say as a whole is an actual transgressive movie. <laughs> this, sh- this shit is uh, outside of the realm of what everyone is okay with in their life and it's fucking amazing. Um, so this is about uh we'll get into the title at the end with a quote from thrower i got a good quote on that because we can talk about why it's called this because it doesn't make any sense Zero. it's about a witch well I, I agree with thrower though we'll get to it but so this is about a, a dude who early on in his marriage uh while on a vacation decided to cheat on his wife with this woman who said to him i can make you rich beyond your wildest dreams if you have sex with me uh <laughs> Uh, right now and then immediately go back to your room and have sex with your wife and i will take control of her womb and impregnate her with the daughter that is yours until her 18th birthday and then you have to give her to me and this dude's hot to trot and is like yeah yeah dude whatever let's just have sex (laughs) and she's like all right cool (laughs) (laughs) but he does the deed and um yeah, and we we you learn about that as the movie goes on, but it you know it's not spoiling it. Um, if you think it is, you can cut that out. But so we meet this family. You're gonna sell this movie. <laughs> you can't other way because you yeah. won't. I mean, it goes to a lot of surprising places that we don't have to mention. So it does. Um, so we we start this movie basically. Um, with that family, Lena is playing the daughter who's turning 18, wants to go on a trip. Uh, because her father's been getting disturbing phone calls from Lorna, uh, letting him know that he has to come back to the place where they met. The birthday trip is switched. The whole family's going together. And um, very I don't scene. even want Well, it's very seen in um, uh, Eugenie's story of perversion at the very beginning, where Paul Muller has to go running out of the house, much to the dismay of his wife, because he got a call yeah. and get out fast yeah 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 there's a bunch of that um the movie actually starts a little bit different than that but i don't know about you i kind of don't want to spoil all of that um i guess we could just say like lorna has a psychic connection with lena's character and uh can visit her i guess in varying ways um but the way this movie unfolds is a, a an absolute nightmare. <laughs> Visits her entering kind of her erotic daydreams, which is a very um, interesting idea about how Franco views desire and sexual desire, which is going to get really worked through in brilliant ways on today's episode. But this is kind of like, you know, this one's really putting that at the forefront like the cost and the toll of one's desire yes yeah yeah and how vulnerable um humans can be 
when they're in that state, when they're in a heightened state where uh, desire is hard to resist or hard to even, I guess, just uh, see coming, maybe. Um, like, a, it's as he'll point out, it is kind of like an external force, as he sees it, that does not respond to reason or th- like rational thinking. It is like we see with one movie, an alien force that completely overwhelms the individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, as we said, this movie goes to some heights. Um, this, if I had to pick in Bummer Jess Land, this is certainly up there at the very, towards the very top. Um, but because we love you all, watch yourself when you're ready for it. Because <laughs> it, uh, it does a thing that Jess loves to do where he makes true, truly um, sensual or sexual things, uh, but keeps twisting them and perverting them uh, further and further until we get to the thing I mentioned at the top, a scene that is just horrifically transgressive. Like it, it's insane. It's absolutely insane that this goes on and they choose to do it with no music. Well, uh, these two characters are going through this thing. I guess one of them's going through it. Yeah. That's that's I, a shocking scene. I've seen it so many times and I found myself holding my breath again while that happened uh, because I was so upset in a great way. Um, and I think part of that to do that with this movie that makes it able to cause that with the viewer is how good Franco is at writing the line between supernatural and reality. Cause this movie is openly technically openly supernatural from the jump, right. For the most part, but it feels so rooted in reality because of the desperation of the characters and because how hungry they are with their desire and how hungry they are for love and yada, yada, that it really fucking hurts. (laughs) Uh, And it's just, incredible filmmaking and stuff that really no one else does when it gets to the the penultimate scene of this i think oh yeah i mean this is like you know it is bummer territory but it's like where it differs from hot nights of linda is that like these are both movies that were clearly shot with like zero budget i mean this movie looks like there was no budget and yet he rings this like incredible like supernatural tale out of nothing and somehow that shoddiness like almost makes it believable like it it makes like it makes how he finds this character eventually believable which is 100% echoed in the final episode of Twin Peaks The Return beauty character and if you don't know what I'm talking about I won't explain but it again yeah, that Lynch, that Lynch influence just becomes so increasingly like palpable mm-hmm. that uh, I think we're going to have to call him to task and just say, just <laughs> admit it, my friend. Just come show Franco movies with us. <laughs> That'll uh, be fine. He wants to do that. Uh, yeah, that's a fun little mid-show tease. Yeah. Maybe these are yeah. uh, maybe these are coming to a theater near you. And uh, I have to shout out uh, Pamela Stanford, who plays Lorna, who we haven't mentioned it, but has some of the greatest like borderline drag queen makeup that she wears at all points 
throughout this movie and it's fucking amazing and that only adds to like the discombobulation of everything that's going on is she looks should look so stupid and not be powerful but you will also be under her spell whether you want to or not um and she's look into her career she's amazing she was a great adult film star she was in a very sexuality tons of shit she's amazing but she's lena's match which is the only reason this movie works because Lena's so strong and so powerful in this. If Lorna's character didn't work, it would fall flat. I agree. Um, I instead, agree. it doesn't. And that's why I, I cry at the end. <laughs> really beautiful. This is the the music in this is also a highlight. One of the uh, the top uh, scores that he has featured in his movies. And yeah, there were something we're not going to spoil. But let's just say if there's uh, any of our friends who live in New England uh and love their little pals yeah yeah you know random pals don't do so well but the the exploration or even the fact that anyone involved in this had the idea of that again is just so perverse and amazing uh to come up with that (laughs) idea is nuts this movie this movie will blow your fucking mind at so many different points troll around on Letterboxd and figure out what we're talking about try not to because like if this very often spoiled thing were not spoiled for you your jaw will be dropped when it does happen so both both things things right well the thing that will's alluding to and then the thing that everyone loves to be like is this the movie where blue 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 This is going to kind of like with uh, what I cut out of uh, what Will said about the other side of the mirror. These are one of these things. It's just going to explore it and you don't maybe you think something's coming and then when it happens, it'll blow you away. So two thumbs up again for our other masterpiece of this show. Uh, Lorna, the Exorcist couldn't give the more higher recommendation to any title in this. Absolutely not. And now, <laughs> will this be my l- most hated of the show? Well, it might be. This one, uh, oh God. Will's already agreed to go through this one fast. This one's called Le Chateau Le Le Chateau Le Chateau Whatever. I don't know how to pronounce this French title. It is translated to the Ticklers. Yep. It was also known in other places as Nuns in Heat and my personal favorite, God's Sexy Women. Amen. Amen. That's to be the best thing going for this movie. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Again, a bunch of prostitutes. Right now, they got to run away from the cops. Oh, no, these crazy generals, the oppressive government. Ah, which was lifting at the time that this was happening too. So I guess maybe this is a celebration of that. But yeah, these women, these prostitutes go hide out and they hide out to become nuns and all sorts of saucy escapades happen. Well, don't leave it out. They they all uh, are problematically indebted to this dude who is a hero of the left in this movie um, that they want to help hide and save. And that happens uh off and on throughout the thing um yeah that's important <laughs> yeah very important because this movie is really uh not gonna do it for you um <laughs> <laughs> it's uh unless you want to see 
something right up there uh, with a lot of Italian ones as not even good, but one of the most tasteless sex comedies out there. The conversations these women are having uh, are nuts. You will drop your jaw periodically. Um, this is another one that is on, the only thing to latch onto here is they're having fun with each other. These crew of people, uh, particularly the women, are having fun hanging out clearly, but it does not come together. <laughs> oh, I mean, here's the thing. We're going to say that the bad ones, our only caveat is going to be every time that they probably had fun making it. So not every time, but it, no, it, truly, especially with this crew, because they've all talked about it. Yeah. Well, clearly they're not, they're not worried about making a good movie here. This might've been a nice way to hang out and like reuse some of the same costumes from Celestine. Yeah. But yeah, I, I have nothing else to add on this. Um, if you really want to know what he can do with the nun genre, think it's only another episode away before we get to love letters of a portuguese nun but that shit rocks so don't worry <laughs> spoiler that one rocks so <laughs> yeah, so this one even my ass there's a sex scene that is bathed in blue light that helps for a second but again it just makes you go god damn it why couldn't we i got more of that in this movie and it's That's long it. it's long <laughs> god this <laughs> eventually i'm gonna be fully honest full disclosure i turned away and started doing some actual um, wait so you haven't seen it then five minutes for five yeah. minutes it's some like saucy dancing on jumping on a bed and i well, now i can't talk about the the brilliant scene that you missed oh i probably saw it because like i said i took a chance to just maybe go oh. out of the refrigerator whilst <laughs> jumped on a bosomy breast bounced out when we get to the end of this 170 plus film journey and we say wow we did it i'm going to remind you that you still have to finish the ticklers yeah <laughs> five minute sequence <laughs> uh, no on on to the next we yeah we don't need to learn about uh zorro's cousin who's named q which is all the only kind of funny joke in the ticklers the end yeah right that i guess sure <laughs> I guess. Yeah. So now we're moving on to the next movie, Les Jusseurs, otherwise known as The Pleasurer or the German theatrical title, Der Sex Playboy. Yep. There's a sexy erotic job in Italy, but with two B's. Uh, yeah. I like that. the sexiest man in the world, which actually yep. makes more sense to yep. it. But The Pleasurer will be fine. Yeah, Will's probably going to really like this one. I had a fine time with it. I liked where it went. <laughs> I mean, more interesting films like Sex is Crazy, but um, in theory, I liked this one. <laughs> sure. This one, don't worry. I'm not going to try to convince you it's great. Um, I just think this is really fun and another that you could put similar to Celestine where they're just kind of like celebrating sex stuff being allowed to be out. Like I put this in that category of like the, you know, the dictator Franco is dead. Let's fucking go off and make sex movies. Um, so this one is about, <laughs> uh, Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just say you can give the actual log line, but I think the real log line is uh true pervert meets one of these fake nerd poly perverts. 
and they have <laughs> in the naturalness that makes sex interesting again. <laughs> <laughs> so this is about a dude uh, who a very rich dude um, who's married to a woman who is essentially like a sexologist. Um, yes, these are right. people I'm talking about, these sex nerds that are like, I'm really concerned with all the different ropes you could tie. How yeah. many can you do to suspend me from the ceiling and then maybe make you start wondering, is this still sex? <laughs> it's not my fault you're conservative in the bedroom, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so these guys, they're married, this rich couple, but the dude not feeling it they're not having sex he doesn't like all the gadgets and all the different things so what he thinks he's doing is he's gonna he's going on these weird like cosplay as a poor person journeys uh where, <laughs> where he's like a maid he has a friend who one of the only it's awesome franco male friendships in a movie and that's why i love this too uh he has a good buddy who sets up these jobs for him where he goes where he's like a maid in someone's house but it's just so he can fuck everybody and, you know, pretend he's poor for a while. Um, and as he continues on this journey, he starts to write them all down, which is the framing device. But in a weird, when Franco's doing comedy, it's so ill-advised, uh, highlighted by this moment where uh -huh. this guy is technically a count because he's that rich. But what they tell us is that his book is called Memoirs of a Sad Cunt in like a weird turn of phrase where they just pronounce count wrong in French so that it's cunt instead just to be just to be gross for whatever reason um but yeah he goes on this journey um yada 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 uh you know there's some there's some funny shit here obviously Lena's amazing as always uh but what really matters is during this journey at one point we get amazing footage of Paris and the red light district and Franco is itching because his own movie is playing. And I'm sure that's why they used a reel on it. Because uh, Lisa Brunlace that we covered is playing and he shows it in this movie. Um, uh, but yeah, that, that footage is fucking sick. The Andre Benichot music, especially for the threesome sequence, a certain threesome is amazing. Um, but what really matters is we get to the end. Uh, do you want to spoil it or no? Because this one's hard to see. Yeah, we could spoil it. I mean, at the end of the movie is basically um, his wife, you know, like you said, is kind of this sex nerd with a very like rigid idea of how to govern sex where he goes to basically become a porn star. And then into the movie is a great pull out. No, you know, no pun intended, but a great pull out shot of them all on the bed shooting this porno. And Turns out the wife loves it. Well, and he didn't know though. That's the that's the fun twist. Know that he's constantly and being. Then, yes, that's... his wife finds his journal, and he's freaked out. So he runs in, and she's like, "Oh my god, this is perfect. You have to publish it." Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, she then reveals to him, like, "No, this is great. You're the most famous porn star alive right now." because she's been with the help of who he thought was his good buddy has been secretly filming every one of his encounters. So she flips it. He's like, Holy shit, that's crazy and weird. And then they can finally have sex, but it's this awesome, like you said, this awesome pullout of a film set at the end of this movie. 
And again, it's Franco just truly being like, I don't know. I want to remind people that we're all watching this stuff. And why do we want to watch it? You know? Yeah, we're having a fun time uh, yeah. doing it. And it's like, you know, this movie is one of those movies that it's interesting, but you're going to see it done better in terms of like couples, uh, whole like erotic daydreamy idea of their relationship. One movie I love quite a lot from Mr. Tinto Brass, All Ladies Do It. There is a movie that you th- you can almost see that Franco wishes. I bet he saw that and was like, okay. When did that come out? 80, early 80s, right? Yeah. So it's still a ways off. No, 92, dude. That's way late. Yeah. 92? Yeah. Wow, I guess you're right. Yeah. Is ninety two. Yep. Yeah. Oh well, no, because Tinto loves Jess. <laughs> <laughs> he loves Jess. Tinto. Yeah. Yep. But uh, but yeah, yeah. this is fun, and it's a fun. It's a nice switch. Uh, Franco loves to play with uh, typical gender roles in weird ways. I think um, <laughs> the kitty agrees. Just being a statue watching. <laughs> Uh, but I love the the pleasure of the flip of this one is really fun. You know, flip is good shit. It worth watching. I'll be honest, my opinion. Yeah, and it's it is fun. You know, like obviously in the world we live in today, what you would call that is <laughs> a weird. I guess it's not quite revenge porn because they didn't break up, but uh, you know, someone unwittingly filmed against their will <laughs> doing all these movies, but I lo- it's it's fun because it fixes their relationship and they can finally have sex. So, you like, know. got paid for all those upskirts taken from you. He didn't get paid, though. <laughs> he got paid in some way. With a happy... <laughs> With a happy marriage. <laughs> a happy marriage. Well, now we move on to one that I'm going to try not to talk about for 10 hours. Boy, and I know you will, and I'm going to really... All right, I'm starting the timer for this one. Not that I don't enjoy this movie, but this is the kind of fucked up shit that Will just loves to really sound off about. (laughs) So let's... uh, And let me just say, I enjoy this movie. I will... I'm going to be honest. God damn, do we need a restoration of this one to really like know what it is what we're dealing with here because the vhs quality rip of this is uh, but but no one can stop this movie hey this at least has teeth <laughs> and uh it's got all sorts of things diamonds hidden in its pussy it's uh whew, this is a weird one i will say this is it is good that it's just weird as fuck and yep. so bizarre that it's kind of hard to look away Mm-hmm. I would, uh, to start it, I would say I agree with Thrower again on this one. And this is absolutely, whether or not it's good or bad, has nothing to do with it, but this is pure fucking cinema. This is just pure movie making. And I think I agree with him too. This shit borders on astral traveling. That's the kind of movie this is because it is just so unhinged from any reality that exists that if you let yourself climb into theirs, I think it does. I'm going to throw around this one, man. We're talking about a movie called, uh, Les Grandes Emerduces, which is, uh, in English, the big bloody nuisances, or 
if we were titling it accurately for those doing the Franco journey, red lips number four. Yeah, this is okay. First off, I am red lips movie. Absolutely. Whatever fucking weird, heavy bitters that you and this thrower are drinking to get to this point, I'd love to be shipped some, but I think I actually have to deviate from both of you on this. And you know what? (laughs) I, (laughs) I had, it's fun and I will probably reserve my judge because I do think a better look at this movie with it cleaned up would be a lot more, but astral traveling. Yeah, dude. No, this movie is truly, it is truly psychedelic without using anything that anyone who wants to make psychedelic things uses to get you in that headspace. Well, when you, okay. When you say that you're describing another movie we're going to get to today, but. Oh, that one's different. That goes even further. I would say. And this movie is not that movie. That movie is a whole different thing, but I do. I will stand by that with this movie. So it's about, it's again, basically red lips. We're back in the world that Franco functions really well, where he's like, I love two women who hang out, who are best friends, also fuck each other, also do whatever they want, truly just live their best lives. That's where we're back. And it's these uh, these red lips girls that uh, have heard that someone has some diamonds that got stolen. So they're going to set up a scam to get those diamonds back. Uh, they go on their they go on their hijinks, uh, but the way this movie opens is what sets you up for what I'm talking about that I will fight for, uh, because you open on fourth wall breaking with uh, Lena and her bud. Their names are Tina and Pina. <laughs> That's the kind of shit I'm here for. And they are naturally in bed, um, both of them largely nude, talking directly to you about how hot they are, about how awesome their lives are, and about that we're going to go on a journey together. And they also playfully make fun of each other. It's awesome. Sorry. <laughs> oh my. But just to, just kick it off, because I'll be fast. He's, I'm sorry. Uh, kind of digging his uh, nails into my... Yeah. Oh, I know that face. <laughs> so my green with yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, in, that, in that beginning... At one point, Lena says, uh, in this marvelous city, we fuck at all costs. And this movie is truly a powerhouse of just like these girls do whatever the fuck they want. One of the things they want is to fuck a lot and they fuck each other and everyone. And it's. I want to hang out with you. Not going to lie. Oh, there's so much fun. And uh, Roddick is back again. There's a lot of Roddick in this whole episode, but Roddick's back. Um, we have like great, I won't go into them, but they do lots of fun pop culture drops. They tuck shit on James Bond as we get going. And then we go into a unclassifiable (laughs) journey of what we thought we knew, which is these red lips movies, but it's punctuated by really, really insane, very long sex scenes and music that only just Franco can make. Uh, and not a lot of dialogue, even when it's exposition time. Um, see how these girls go on this journey? It's again, Andre Benichel, this amazing score, but turns out he's actually just reworking his score from the obscene mirror and the gluttons, but it's great. <laughs> uh, Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And 
because it's red lips and Jess doesn't miss out on the opportunity, we also get a return of a new Frankenstein's monster, which is Durenstein this time. <laughs> Honest, I love Durenstein. Durenstein's awesome, and that also leads to a great opportunity to flip the script again on what you expect is going to happen uh, for Lena in this movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I, I don't know. I think, I think this shit's a blast. There's an amazing uh, dick chop that I won't spoil um, in this one. You like this one too, though, for the reason I won't say. I was waiting for you to get to the dick chop. Have to, have to. It's awesome. It's fucking awesome. And everyone like hides diamonds inside their different uh, genitals, what they have around. It's whatever, fucking sick. Whatever. I love this movie. Yeah. I think I think it's a weird time where normally if you want to disassociate and just like go to a different universe, those movies are also not funny. This one is funny and sexy along with doing that. Okay. You know what? You're right. It is I no no no. I think like my issue is that I powered through all three of these in a row. I, not yeah. Lorna. I'd seen Lorna a bunch and was saving yeah. it because I knew this might be a painful moment for me. So you know, I ran through all three of them and or actually all four. I really put all these sex comedies together, which not a healthy move, I'm gonna no, say. Um, well, I just wanted to get rid of so much of the crap out of the way. And then and and I'll be honest, this is a this is a was interesting, and I, I will probably revisit this movie down yeah. the If you you have one of your nights where you wake up at 4 a.m. and you can't rest, toss this motherfucker on again and just see what happens. Because that's its sweet spot. It's sweet spot. And I maybe could have done it that way, but I didn't. So. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And we'll move on because I'm going to ignore the rest of my half page of notes about that movie so we can keep going. Um, Someone else. You can read. No one one cares. (laughs) (laughs) next up we have we'll be quick on this too we have a movie that uh jess did not get to finish um which was called julietta 69 which is going to be another take on the juliet desaad kind of thing even though it's not actually even in jess's form it's not desaad or juliet really at all but um he didn't get to finish it uh so there is 48 minutes worth of it that survived and then long 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 down the line um one person that had worked with jess and so understood him which is why i think that movie we're going to talk about does kind of work uh bruno matai who edited 99 women dracula and jess's preferred cut of venus and first paroxysmus uh teamed up with joe d'amato that's where bruno was ever going to do in his entire life was being the editor Oh yeah, yeah. He's a great editor. He's a great editor. We'll we'll, we'll fight about uh, maybe like two midtime movies someday, but not today. He teams up with Joe D'Amato because um, they're all in the same soup of cheap filmmakers who people come to when they need something finished, and they know they will check the boxes. So and coming um, on that smiles on a murderer. Yeah, which is sick. Which is a crazy debut. That's his first movie, right? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's insane. No, Joe D'Amato's, we'll do Joe D'Amato someday because he still doesn't get the, the correct love. Yeah. And I do think people confuse him with Bruno. Yeah. I think that there's a thing where like Bruno and them, they get swapped sometimes. Is like 
One's the Which hack extraordinaire, and then one is the perceived hackmeister extraordinaire. Yep. Yeah. Um, right. But so way down the line, what year is it? Can you remind me? 74? 74. Yeah. Yeah. I is that it? 79. I think it's 79. Comes out. Yeah. But it's like, uh, I think it's shot. No, oh, no. I mean, when, I mean, when D'Amato puts this out. Oh, when D'Amato puts that, it's like the 80s. Yeah. So, whatever year it is, D'Amato and Bruno Matai start putting together. They're given the 48 minutes from Juliet to 69. And then they also take, uh, Two movies we're going to talk about next, footage from Midnight Party and Shining Sex, and try to build a movie out of it. Um, we don't need to get into it that much. I think it's worth a watch, especially if you're a Franco head. It's kind of fucking awesome to just watch like a weird, demented Lena mixtape, because that's kind of what it feels like. Yeah. Um, the music's awesome. There's cool music. There's cool shit. Um, but for the most part, it's pretty painfully obvious that they're just trying to make a softcore movie um with lena from this footage out of nothing yeah and he's a good uh franco is a good filmmaker of making movies out of nothing sometimes but yes you're trying to cobble together all these movies and to try to string these things along to where they have no narrative coherence and not in a way where coherence is unnecessary you need it you have no fucking clue what's going on but it's a Frankenstein film put together from a lot of different things by three different filmmakers, essentially. Yeah. And then whoever was dicking around at Eurocine at the time. So it's like, yeah. this is just a movie that is, um, yeah, it's barely stitched together. And just to highlight the music, why it's awesome is because Joe D'Amato took it from his two awesome Emmanuel films <laughs> to save money. Um, huh? Was it uh, Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals? Yes, and then the other one. Yeah, I forget what it's called. Um, but he took it from that stuff. Uh, but really, all that I think is important to cover here before we just move on, since we can't actually see Julietta sixty nine. The footage that you do get to see in the Frankenstein movie that I think is very interesting, um, and why it's sad that we didn't get to see this film um it's highlighted by uh the film critic who worked with franco alain petit who is one of the only people who saw the original version of julietta before it disappeared he says it was a very dark depressive movie very morbid also surely one of the darkest of franco's movies no trace of humor just wicked sex despair and a strange climate of dark poetry god damn do i want to see that and it highlights why this stuff would have hit so hard um because there's a sequence that does survive where um from jess's movie that was made where lena's character is obsessed with sex but she's sad about how horrible it's gotten because of what she's been through so her character says if i shave my vagina and go back to a childlike state then maybe sexuality can go back to a more innocent and pure state like it was when I was a kid. So she shaves her vagina in this movie. And then there's a sequence where Jess is playing a guy who's hired her as a prostitute. She comes out and tries to seduce him, showing her that him, her vagina and Jess 
truly recoils. Why that's important is because one, they're actually talking about how interesting that childlike thing is. And two, because Jess is on record as only liking to watch. He doesn't actually like to have sex as much as he likes to watch. So it would have been a very interesting thing that we could have seen. But it's gone. And then the only other just crazy shit, just because, you know, it's nuts, is the original ending of Juliet of 69 that still survives a little bit is after Lena's character's uh, husband in the movie kills himself and she finds him. She sucks his dick. He's sitting there and it's crazy. It's true. It's rough. Even in the like Frankenstein version, the like sadness that permeates all the Franco stuff is pretty insane. Yeah, you can definitely see that this was um, going to be sad, a very sad movie. And the yeah, it did remind me a bit of like the the deep darkness of She Killed an Ecstasy when she's sucking his hanged penis. And also, you know, recycling imagery from uh, Other Side of the Mirror, Virgin Among the Living Dead. Yeah, would have loved to have seen this movie and all of its dark bleakness. But maybe he also felt that it was like, I think I'm going too bleak. Maybe this is. Oh, it, it showed. This is the one that like played. It just disappeared. But that's what I mean. I just wonder if he was like, oh yeah, I'm okay with this one because like it's too personal. Like it might have been too personal for him to watch. Yeah, because this is when uh, Lena also has hair very similar to Soledad. Lena has yeah. not found her own hair look yet. You know what I mean? And she's going to in the next one. We're not. We're also not to Candy Coster yet, which we will get to somewhere down the line when Lena goes blonde. Oh, you little trench coat perverts, settle down. We'll get to Candy Coster. <laughs> oh well, yeah. Let's we'll move on and stop mourning the loss of this movie. And let's celebrate. They made two others at the same time, and we're going to celebrate. And yeah, one of them's pretty okay. The other one, hands down. For now, nothing else you can say. Masterpiece, maybe my favorite, Jess Franco, possibly. So, no. this is uh, two movies shot back to back, so much so that the actual actors who were in them, some of them had no idea what the fuck was going on. And it seems like Jess was taking the production money of one movie from one producer using it to shoot most of that and then taking that money to shoot another movie, which is why he always said when people would press him on this, that did you ever shoot two movies at the same time? He would always deny it, which is a lie. (laughs) Not just two motherfucker was making like five at a time on the regular. (laughs) Two was low for him, but he is definitely fibbing about how this two movies came about because it seems well think about it if you go in and you want to like close you want to get one of these two movies funded which of the plot lines between midnight party or shining sex do you think a grubby urison a producer gonna be like let's go with that one (laughs) uh it was one of the actors on it said shining sex was the secret movie being shot here and midnight party was the movie that he had gotten funding off of because Midnight Party is a saucy sex movie. It's not, it's not a silly sex movie <laughs> comedy, but it's like there's there's a there's a meat to it that 
could have been because he was also shooting Shining Sex, where clearly his interest lies. But I, I don't hate Midnight Party. I, I mean, I what are you gonna? I mean, what else can you say about Lena at the beginning of that movie? Oof. Well, this is before I do that. The one thing I want to bring up because it's fun. And Jess is lying about producers. Is he tried to say at one point that this was actually the first time he worked with Erwin C. Dietrich, who we'll talk about a lot soon. Um, Erwin C. Dietrich says that's not true. <laughs> uh, he his theory was that Jess was lying about that so he could say that Manicoa made the movie uh, instead of Urasini. <laughs> uh, uh, amazing. Knew he would get into legal trouble if he were absconding with funds for movies made by other people yeah but then no, this is in retrospect he said it was Erwin C. Dietrich and Erwin C. Dietrich's like no dude that's just not true <laughs> we didn't we didn't do that yet um but yeah this movie opens with Lena um I guess yeah the most graphic of things we've seen at this point where it just opens a red light room Lena's on a bed masturbating directly looking into the camera and not just that, but talking to you and saying things like, uh, the producer asked me to say hi <laughs> like to, to us, to the people watching and saying things like, Oh, I hope you like it. Cause if so, maybe we can do more things like this. It's crazy. Like it truly is like an a Lena ASMR, like predicting what content porn would be. Uh, way ahead of any of that it's really nuts and really fucking weird um and then after that well it sounds like the came out in the 50s and 60s there were like novelty records where it would be yes. like big breasted you know go-go dancer being like hey big boy yeah <laughs> but i don't know like outside of actual like white coders and some like maybe short form hardcore stuff I don't know if we'd seen this in a movie that potentially a good amount of people could see <laughs> to this point. It's pretty crazy. I think you're right. I do think it is kind of understated where this movie lands within the erotic and or just hardcore porn, softcore porn realms. Yeah, because it, it's it's technically rides the line perfectly to be softcore, but it's, it's, very, it's very graphic as far as Lena masturbating and especially after the last movie that didn't actually happen that we talked about where there's a sequence where she shaves. So shit is very graphic and close up and gynecological here. Um, and normally I don't say that and agree with that with Jess Franco movies because it's people's favorite word for his nudity. It is in this case. <laughs> it truly is. But that bald ass pussy with glee. Uh, She's she looking back at the camera. Well, she loves it. She's having so much fun. Um, and, you know, there's the, the story. It's it's a spy kind of thing. Lena gets in some hot water um, as a porn star, basically sees some bodies she shouldn't have. People get mad. It all culminates uh, in some really, a really funny ending uh, where there's a moment or well, specifics. But there's a moment where a dude who's trying to get rid of her because she knows too much get shot by another guy who is following him and when he shoots the first guy that man screams as he dies ah goodbye porno film <laughs> and then right after that we cut to lena back in bed for a, another very graphic masturbation sequence to oh, end the day movie everybody maybe we'll uh, 
together next time. <laughs> it's so nuts. And also the music from this one is taken from John's, another of John's favorites, Van Paris is 1930. All the way back to that is where this music comes from. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. So, you know, this shit, this shit is not great, but I think it's really fun. Uh, and it's fun to just watch Lena cook always. She's having a great time still. Um, and there's not that much plotting. So it's nice. Yeah, well, she's never not having fun. She loves, she lo- and, and and when she looks at Jess, it's it doesn't ever register to me as like bad acting. It's kind of no. like true fourth wall breaking of the the sexual like power that was writhing in these rooms of him watching people, you know, fuck her and fuck other people. I mean, yeah, I'm not. I mean, I. Can you? I, hmm, how hard do you think he busted when they finally had sex? I don't know. I'm still the more I don't know. The further I go on this journey, the more I'm wondering if truly he's a watcher. Like if that's when he gets off the hardest. I don't know. But they fucked. Oh, they definitely fucked. But that's what I'm saying. I think. It's I like, think Jess. Like I think Jess. Like physically and spiritually orgasms the most when he watches. Lena get pleasure. Yes. Fucking someone in front of him. But building up all these things he's made her do and these people she's had sex with in front of him by the time they had sex. What if the first time was for sexorcism that we'll talk about? What if that's actually the first time? These are the kind of things I need to know. My guess. They're both both sick fucks. So maybe it could have been part of me thinks that maybe uh ramon her ex-husband had a little hot wife situation going and didn't realize that lena was going to be the most famous hot wife of all time (laughs) for someone well because he was also uh uh not that there was not an age disparity between jess and lena but there also was between the man she was already married to um so i think he probably when all this came to fruition was like yeah i knew it happened (laughs) You know, he's like, I didn't think it would be for this greasy little fucking dude, but all right. <laughs> That's Europe. Well, and uh, on that note, these the next movie we're going to talk about, combined with Midnight Party, based upon what people said who were there, 10 to 15 days is how long it took to make both of these movies. So um, you want to... You want to get into the next one, which I told someone today was if female vampire was truly fully realized and transcended into a a level of understanding that most us humans can't touch, it'd be this movie. Yeah, which has also led me to revise some things we thought about which one of those should be shown first. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that off screen. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm once again confronted with like what is maybe my favorite up until this point Jess films and we've talked about a lot of great ones this is just a movie that like kind of only exists of the moment it could have been made no one else could have made it and a lot of other art house um dandies would certainly like to approach this level but the way they come to it is through a much stiffer means of production and capturing images where Jess has truly everything he's done up until this point has, in my opinion, led him to this movie. He has yep. achieved 
the perfect fusion of his um, his kind of off the cuff improvisational style. It takes on the most power they ever have, and the underlying theme of the movie is so ripely developed almost as ripe well we never talked about the ripe fruit in lorna but um that shows up again in the credits for sexual story of O. but this is what i would say is the ripest fruit on that vine and shining sex lena romay this is a movie that is going to start and you're gonna well it starts with a sh- with like shocking formalism of edits and tightly composed shots no zooms just like block of perfect edit shots bam 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 and you're like oh, that's an interesting way to start that's a seems wildly more professional and then we get into the strip scene with lena stripping she's essentially the same kind of airheaded sweet horny character from midnight party and she's performing and a couple shows up very menacing looking uh, couple that would seem like one of our favorite sadist couples that we've seen up until this point but they're of a special variety and they ask lena to come sit with them and uh, basically go have a threesome with them and lena is hilariously is just going off on all of her exploits Speaking like a potentially a e-girl I had a weird affair with for a period of time. (laughs) So, you know, she's having this kind of like this meeting with them. She goes back. One of the weirdest sex scenes ever committed to even Jess Franco's cinema. And then the movie goes into the realm that we promised we'd take you to from the very beginning. About the 25-minute mark, this movie becomes everything Antonioni wished he could do. It becomes, sorry, but it's true. This movie becomes full sleaze art house. Spoiler, there's going to be some David Lynch references. What it is, this couple is an alien couple sent to Earth. Alpha. Yeah, Andrus and Alpha. Alpha is... Andros is back, and we're going to actually get to hear maybe a weird origin story for Andros, which is one of the most beguiling lines of dialogue that truly makes you... It's where dialogue can somehow hit a pocket of magic and transport you image-wise. Even though they're, they don't have the budget to display this, there's a poetry to it. And Andros is the slave of this woman named Alpha, who is a essentially some sort of like other being she doesn't really like she kind of exists between time and space in a way that is similar to certain things from the black lodge perhaps who feed on human desire and sexuality in a way that's almost overwhelming for them but it's all they're seeking and uh yeah, she becomes in a Venus and Furs classic mind control way, uh, an assassin of so to speak for this alien woman. And it goes to some pretty amazing, deliriously hazy places that he'll take even further with Macumba Sexual. Yeah, this is ta- this is uh dimension hopping. This is uh this is the 
the ether of the world uh, unfolding and furling against itself and imagine spaces it's make-believe it's um it's stunning it's it's stunning this movie that just grows it's just it's it's it makes no sense this exists in such a confident form that's part of what shakes me up so much about this movie is the confidence it took to do this because it's like there's just this to finance this yeah it's just like, oh my God. And I try to, I've tried so many times, even just to like in a in a stupid way, like a sales pitch, right? Like as far as genres. And I the best I come up with is like an avant-garde sci-fi trans sex film. But that's so many words. Huh? Like some horror, but they none of them ride. Because I, so, I but I think part of what's so special is the trance and avant-garde cover the horror. Because I don't think this is, you know what I mean? Like Cause it's truly, uh, I was talking to my buddy about it and for people who don't like to experiment with drugs, which is smart, you shouldn't, it's not worth it. But this movie goes there. A fucking like tired way to say this, but I really mean it though. Cause usually when people say like a movie is like, you know, druggy or whatever, they don't actually mean it. They just mean like it does some weird shit, but this movie like actually gets, when you're peaking on intense drugs and you are having an experience that is outside the realm that you can get to without them, this movie made me feel that same way again this morning. And it's mostly like the warmth. Like that's what's so weird, right? Cause you have, you get that weird warm haze feel watching this movie. Like once you settle in, settle into it and it's so disarming, the world like fucking disappears And that's then like why it slaps you so hard with where we end up because it, I feel like this movie truly the first time thus far in his career succeeds entirely in seducing the audience. If you, if you don't fight it, right. Like if you, you know, if you, if you are open to it, this movie will make you feel as overwhelmed as fucking alpha is when she has sex with Lena because what? it turns out there was like too much pleasure for her. This movie feels like that in times. Like I, I genuinely get like short of breath because it's so, it's so overwhelming and so singular. I don't even know what to do. with it. <laughs> like, like you have to willfully go with it. If you don't willfully go with it, you're going to fight against it the entire time because it's That's not, because it. it's not, traditional movie making it doesn't have the same sort of underlying structure but that's not but that's exactly why you come to jess franco is to sort of shake that perception of cinema a bit Mm -hmm. not to discover a schlockmeister like everyone seems to think and discover wow he's so bad it's good sometimes we're doing this whole stupid really ill-advised series to prove to you all that he is not that and he's never been that and in fact he's of he's of true uh, art house persuasion in many ways amongst european's finest i i, uh, I agree agreed he's this is a movie that proves his merit exactly what he can do it shocking it was shot as short as it was because it feels like this covers a whole lifetime of ground 
you can mm-hmm. walk again and again and keep pulling things away, which is why this time I've completely, I feel like in other watches, because the dialogue is so exacting that you cannot sleep on the dialogue in this movie because once, and we often say to sleep on the dialogue in Jess, and we'll always be honest when you should, but that's yeah. part of why this is such an overwhelming fucking experience because there, nothing is missed here. There's not a wasted moment. Everything oh. is exactly what they wanted for the, it feels like the first time, even though there've been masterpieces, I would say before this, this feels like the first time on this journey where everything Jess and Lena and the whole crew wanted to do came together exactly as they wanted it to. Yeah, I would say this is in line with Virgin Among the Living Dead and Other Side of the Mirror in that regard that they're like, and I'm not discounting other great masterpieces, but these are ones he really hits the mark of exactly that kind of poetry. As great as like Vampiros Lesbos is in a perfect movie for Jess, like there's poetry, but it is not in the way that we're seeing here. And this is really completely stellar filmmaking of a level and a dimension that I don't know is of this earth. And even like, I love the thrower touches on a little bit, um, but part of what's so incredible here. And I think so uh, it creates such a trance is that Jess, this whole episode, but through his whole career has always been interrogating himself, right? He loves to, figure out why he's doing things in a way and why he's interested in things. But his biggest desire since day one has always been to watch stuff happen, whether it's sexual or otherwise, right? He wants to be the peeper, like seeing stuff happen, see how humans actually work, how they tick. uh, And especially in the realm of desire and how it relates to sex. And this movie is him not having to break from that for even a split second. He just keeps He starts with that opening scene, exploring that idea, and he doesn't stop exploring it with no interruptions all the way through. So we get pure uncut, like Jess diving in to the fucking wormhole of existence. (laughs) And he's he's somehow he's got he has gotten rid of any other what one could call impure elements to his his uh, his brew here and. It has been purged of all of that, and this is like straight uncut shit. And yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I feel like we could oversell this movie, so maybe this is a good way to. Good place. <laughs> we should stop. <laughs> it's hard though. We care about it a lot, especially now because we just to truly be uh, transparent here. When John and I first started hanging out and talking about Jess Franco things, we both liked shining sex a lot thought it was awesome and then we both revisited again when severn put it out and we were like oh shit that was even better than we remembered but it didn't at least for me i'm not trying to speak for both of us but i feel like this journey has finally solidified how special this one truly is it has. We knew it fucking slapped. We knew it was awesome. We knew it was like a, a film to make an argument why he's a real filmmaker. But I don't know. I feel like it's really clicked. Full transparency. I considered just not even rewatching it for a second because I'm like, I know this movie. I know this movie. Yeah. It's incredible. What do I need? What possibly more am I going to glean from it? Well, again, now after this third viewing, I realized there's still more I could potentially glean from this yep. movie. Because I didn't catch on to the Andros, how Andros became Andros until this watch. Some reason, 
it stuck this time. And that line he gives was so haunting. And again, talks about this kind of interdimensional hopping that David Lynch will later explore. And yeah, it's just little things like that just kind of clued me into like, yeah, there's a lot here that like I'm missing. And the the, the cinematography is oh. beyond gorgeous. Formal. It's my favorite Daniel White music, bar none. Score is incredible. Everything's good. Lena, Everything's good. Lena's truly delivering a real performance in this movie. Yep. That's true. And I will say, like, I'm going to cut this out if you want, because, you know, I get too hyperbolic. But <laughs> I was thinking about the other day, someone actually that was at our show of uh, Wilo, New Jersey and Project X, this awesome kid who drove in from the suburbs who'd never been there. He was so excited. He loved it. He was like, hey, my my girlfriend's an actor. What's the greatest performance you know of in movie history? And I went to the one that I always do, which is, I still think correct, but Jenna Rollins in Woman, Woman Under the Influence. I, I personally can't argue with myself on that. But this morning's rewatch of this movie, I was like, fuck, man. <laughs> I might have I might also need to start saying, I don't know, Lita Romain, shining sex, dude. <laughs> well, maybe. Very different. Yeah, I would love for someone to be like, my two favorite, Jenna Rollins. Like, okay, so it's the Oscars, and it's like Jenna Rollins for a woman under the influence. And she's yeah. being so vulnerable and doing all these strange quirks and all this stuff. And then it's like Lena Romay for Shining Sex, and she's covered in like smoking like six cigarettes. She's just on a fold out, and they're like, wow riveting performances i get what you're saying i get what you're I, get, saying. I know i know it's a lot but i just think along with not just him it's just that it's more of this mission statement here that like yeah because it's also about lena we'll get into a lot more but this, that this is not an easy movie to carry is what i'm trying to say in yeah. an easier way it's hard to get across especially the last five minutes which i rewatched right before we started and mm-hmm. it destroyed me yet again because no. it's so heavy and it also i'll shut up after this but one of the things that i think this movie explores is if it's possible to go too far with pleasure and the exploration of it and what happens when you do that and we will culminate with that in my opinion with je brule de parto way down the line here but yeah. as an exploration of that i can't think of anything that does it like this it's just incredible it literally presents that sexual urge as an alien force that kind of governs our bodies. Yeah. Uh, makes us like think differently until yeah. uh, we expel that energy. Yeah. We all, Hey everyone, all of my crankers out there. Y'all, y'all know what we're talking about. <laughs> it's just, cra- it's honestly just crazy. And it's crazy, too, that this only came out, this only got to play in uh, porn theaters. It wasn't allowed, uh, you know, it wasn't allowed elsewhere, which is pretty nuts. And even though, like, we're we're not, you know, yeah. People would be sad. They go in to beat off and then they're like, shining sex. Great. (laughs) And this is the movie they're left with. It's not, this isn't, no. I well, do. in the same way, some of his others down the line will get to. Jess is not interested in making titillation satisfaction movies. Oh, he's not. And I wonder if the fact that he was... Because like, if he was trying to keep this movie secret, and this is the true movie he wanted to make out of these two movies, which it clearly was, 
you would think, well, he'd probably go with the original title of the movie, which was called Alpha, which makes this seem like a movie and not a sex movie. But Shining Sex is what he went with. I mean, I think he, he chose better. that producers. And I think like to trap people who come in to get get their jollies and you know the risk is they're probably nine out of ten are going to be super pissed off at the movie but maybe that one that came in there just to get their sad rocks off is like wow that was was beautiful that was haunting and beautiful so i would hope that i guess our, our closing dream i just i fantasize about a world where a packed house of hungry both jaded and green cinephiles join in a room with as much anticipation and as much openness as they do at screenings of fucking Tarkovsky Solaris. I want that same room to get the chance to watch this movie and just see what fucking happens. You know, Will, I have an idea how we can do that. And I think it's a original idea, which we thought we needed to alter. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever been so convinced that we were very wrong on that. So we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah, we'll hit stop right now so we can discuss this we'll and hope make something happen for you all in a theater. Well, um, yeah, we'll see y'all next time. <laughs> yeah, and if you're really enjoying this, don't worry. Things are in motion to let's just say Zemeckify. <laughs> this yeah, we're trying to we're trying to who frame Jess Franco this bitch. <laughs> so we'll, we'll uh that's currently in the works and we will get back to you on that but we might have some real uh heat helping us get this done so i don't know stay tuned and uh look forward to like 20 more of these or however however oh, many so anyway, just so, just so in case anyone's curious if my math is right and again it might not be excluding I, unfinished and lost films i believe we just covered our 69th movie we have and we have, wait, hold on. Here's how many shows technically we would have left if we don't change the way we do this. One. Well, we don't need to tell them. <laughs> I'll just for myself. Oh, it's not that bad. Yeah, we're getting, we're getting there. But yeah, we're, we are, uh, yeah, 69 movies deep, which how hey. lovely that, how lovely that Franco hit this masterpiece out of the park on the 69th movie. Which also that he's made by this point in his career two different sixty nine jokes, so he'd be happy to. I hope he knew what he was doing in regards to that. But you know what? That's kind of where life and everything just kind oh, of. He did. He did. Yeah. Like, well, there's a direct one in fucking uh, in uh, like Grande Semarduces. There's a direct sixty nine joke, so he knows. He knows. All right, bye, friends. Bye, everyone. <laughs>